standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 12 through 26 this morning. Luke 5 verses 12 through 26. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. When Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him not to tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and to pray. And on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. As you do, if you could bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that the words, of my, <clears throat> the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as we are in Luke chapter 5, uh, we've made it through the, the first four chapters, and uh, I just wanted to bring everyone up to speed where we're at this morning. So if you remember, uh, Luke was written to his friend Theophilus, and he wrote it so that Theophilus might have an orderly account uh, of the life of Jesus, so that Theophilus might know for sure the things that he had been taught. So Luke is using this to, to prove to Theophilus that these things are true, these things about Jesus. 
And in Luke, we get the, the most complete view of Jesus' life. We see his birth uh, through his, his death and his resurrection. And Luke continues on in the Gospel of Acts, uh, excuse me, in the book of Acts, uh, to chronicle the life of the early church as well. So, in the point that we're at here in Luke this morning, we have seen the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus being foretold by the angel Gabriel. Uh, we see these miraculous uh, births. Uh, we see the angels and the shepherds coming to visit Jesus uh, at, his, uh, at his birth. We see Jesus growing up, his time at the temple when he is 12 years old. Uh, we moved on into the, the temptations, his baptism. Uh, and we've seen him in the last couple of chapters preaching and teaching. The reason that he was sent uh, was to teach, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And he is doing so with amazing authority. Uh, at every turn, it seems like he is proving his authority. He is showing that the kingdom of God is here uh, because he is king. And so this morning, we turn to a couple of miracles that he performs. Uh, healing the leper and also healing the paralytic. And we're going to see two men who, in their, dis- in their desperation, turn to Jesus in faith. So first, let's look at this leper. And we need to understand leprosy, first of all. Um, leprosy, as I was telling the children, is a skin disease. Uh, in the Bible, it's, it's a wide range uh, of skin diseases that were around in these, in these times. And according to Jewish law, anyone who is diagnosed with leprosy is considered unclean. And so what this means is that for the rest of this person's life, they are an outcast. They are sent out from, from their village, sent out from their family, from their job, from their livelihood, and they are spending the rest of their lives by themselves. They are alone. They are, in a sense, despised by the rest of the community. Some of the writers describe this as a kind of living death because you are simply by yourself. Anytime that anyone would come close to you, you would have to yell to them, unclean, unclean, so that they would know not to come near you. So this man, uh, as he approaches Jesus in our story, he's, he's been a leper for a while. He is in this isolation uh, from everything that he has known, and he has nowhere to turn. So in his desperation, where does he turn? He turns to Jesus. And he falls at Jesus' feet, much like Peter did last week when... Um, Jesus performed that miracle of the miraculous catch of fish. Jesus comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. This leper falls at the feet of Jesus and he begs Jesus. He says, if you are willing, Lord, you can make me clean. And then Jesus does something that is incredible. And we can't miss this. He reaches out and he touches the man. Now, no one has touched this man in years. In years, he has not felt the physical touch of another human being. But Jesus reaches out and he places his hand on him. And he says, I am willing, be clean. 
Jesus shows incredible compassion for this man, not only by healing him, but also being willing to place his hand on him, being willing to touch him. Uh, People honestly avoid uh, lepers like the plague, literally. Uh, But Jesus would not avoid him. Uh, Instead, he was drawn to him and he touched him. After he heals him, he sends him to the priest so that this man can be pronounced clean, so that he can rejoin his family, he can rejoin society, um, and he can offer sacrifices to God for, for what has happened. And despite Jesus telling him not to tell anyone, um, when you think about it, it's a little comical uh, that Jesus would ask him to do that. Uh, in a sense, how can anyone not notice this man who has been cleaned, who can rejoin society now? Uh, But Jesus tells him not to tell anyone, but as you know, the news spreads, and people notice. And people are coming to Jesus um, and are flocking to him to be healed by him. But what does Jesus do? He steals away, and he goes and he spends time with his father. He withdraws to a desolate place, and he prays. Uh, Jesus, uh, in a sense, doesn't want this popularity that he, is, uh, that he is gathering to detract from his mission. If we remember, his mission is to preach the gospel. His mission is to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, although we don't see the word faith in this story, in these verses, uh, you get the concept from this story. In his desperation, the leper believed that Jesus was the only one in the world who could help him. And so he came to him in faith. His words to to Jesus demonstrate this faith. He says, if you are willing, Lord, you can make me clean. And so Jesus heals him. Now, in our second story, this is a very famous one, we also see faith being demonstrated. As you can imagine, Jesus is attracting a great crowd He is teaching, and as always is the case, uh, people are just flocking to him. This passage says that people from all over, so from Galilee in the north, from Judea in the south, in Jerusalem, uh, we don't know exactly where he is right now, maybe in Capernaum, um, but people from all over Israel are coming to see him. And not just ordinary people either, just not just, you know, common people, but also the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these high-ranking people in Jewish society, are coming to check Jesus out. And the crowd is so big that no one else can fit inside the place where he is. Uh, The fire marshal would not have been pleased. People could not get in and out. It is way beyond capacity. And our our passage for this morning says, it makes an interesting statement. It says, And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Um, Apparently, there were times when Jesus was given the power to heal and times when he did not have that power. It seems weird to say that because he's Jesus. Wouldn't he always have the power to heal? Yes, in a sense, he always did. But remember, he submitted himself to the will of his Father in heaven. So when his Father desired for him to have the power to heal, he did. Uh, There's an instance in Mark chapter 6 where it says that Jesus was not able to do much healing in his hometown of Nazareth. But in this instance where he is, the Spirit is with him to heal. And what a healing occurs. 
So we have these four men, and they are good friends of another man who is paralyzed. He is laying on a mat. There is nothing that he can do, nowhere he can go. Uh, So he is relying on his friends. And these friends love him so much that they want to bring him to Jesus. But you know the problem. There is no room. They can't get in. Uh, No one is letting them in because everyone else wants to get to Jesus. They could have said, well, you know what? Sorry, buddy, we tried. There's no way to get in. Maybe when Jesus comes back, we we can try again next time. But they were determined. They wanted to get their friend to see Jesus. So what do they do? They go up. They climb the the stairs on the outside of the house. They go to the roof. They open it up. They start digging. Uh, As you can imagine, it probably caused quite a scene on the inside. There's probably debris that's falling down. can't imagine if someone tried to, you know, open up a hole in our roof right now while we were having this service. Uh, There would be quite a commotion. Um, And so, and the hole has to be big enough so that a man who is paralyzed can be dropped through. This is a big deal. So, they lower the man down in front of Jesus. An amazing thing happens. Jesus sees the faith of the paralytic and his friends, and Jesus says to the man, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Right? No. He doesn't say, get up, you're healed. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I was one of the friends who had just brought this paralytic to Jesus, who had spent all that time digging through the roof, I would have probably yelled down to Jesus at this time and say, Jesus, he's paralyzed. Heal his legs. That's why we brought him to you. But what does he do? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees their faith and he heals his sins. You know, Luke doesn't give us the reaction of the friends, but he does give us the reaction of the Pharisees. And what are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law doing at this point? They're livid. Because they know in their hearts that the only one who can forgive sins is God alone. And they are absolutely right in that. But they just don't understand the fact that Jesus is God. They're missing it. So in a sense, they are very right. And Jesus, as he can do, perceives their thoughts. And he responds to them like this. He says, why are you questioning in your hearts? He says, what's easier to say to someone? Your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk. What he's saying is, here, let me show you the authority that I have. That I have the authority to forgive sins, but I'm going to tell this man to get up, to take his mat, and to go home. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He heals the man And the man goes home glorifying and praising God. The people there are shocked. They are in awe of what is happening. And they give glory to God. And they say, we have seen extraordinary things today. I can imagine they're probably talking about this days, weeks, probably even years later. Do you remember that time when that roof was opened up and the man dropped down and Jesus healed him? Uh, It was incredible. So just like the leper, these men lower their paralyzed friend through the roof at the feet of Jesus out of desperation. They know that Jesus is the only one who is able to heal. 
they firmly believe that Jesus can and will heal their friend. And Jesus sees their faith and not only heals the man's legs, but he also, more importantly, forgives his sins. So what does this mean for us today? Well, we're going to look at three things. Uh, we're going to look at what, it, um, what this says about Jesus, what it says about us, and what it says about faith this morning. It's really important for us to understand the compassion of Christ that we see in this passage. It just overflows in these two stories. The fact that Jesus would reach out and actually touch the man with leprosy. Now understand, this isn't after he had healed him. This was while this man had leprosy. He reached out and he touched him. It reminds me of of the verse in Romans where it says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is incredible amount of compassion. Not only did he heal the leper then, but he also healed the paralytic. And what he did, first of all, was heal the paralytic of his greatest need, his sins. And then he healed him physically. You know, this shows the, the compassion of God that He has on us, that He does heal our greatest needs. You know, we can see ourselves in this passage, that we are like the leper. We are detestable because of our sin. We are outcasts in terms of God's sight. We are unclean because of the fact that we have sinned against God. Uh, like the paralytic, um, we are unable to, to come to Jesus without Him drawing us. Uh, it is impossible for us to do so. But God heals us of our greatest need. He makes us clean. He heals us of our sins. Through His sacrifice of His Son, God has taken care of the problem of our sin. You know, when the paralytic was dropped down in front of him, Jesus first declared, your sins are forgiven. You know, we might think that the more important thing was for this man to get up and to walk. If a person came into the ER where my wife works there in Pine Bluff with a gunshot wound and a scraped knee, you would think, you know what? If Stephanie sent sent this person home with a bandage on his scraped knee and said, you're good, go ahead, you're fine, and didn't take care of the gunshot wound, you would think, what kind of a physician assistant is she that that she doesn't realize that this man has a gunshot wound that needs to be healed? Um, If Jesus would have sent this man home with just healed legs, we should say, what kind of a God is he? Because he didn't heal his greatest need. And the greatest need was not that he could walk. His greatest need was that the fact that he was a sinner and needed forgiveness. This is the compassion that God shows us through Christ. Because he deals with our greatest needs first. And that is our sin. Through Christ, he has set us free from the power and from the penalty of sin. So faith plays a huge role in these two stories. 
the leper comes to Jesus believing that Jesus will heal him. He shows faith and Jesus does, in fact, heal him. He makes him clean. The paralytic is brought to Jesus by his friends and our passage says that, that Jesus sees their faith and he heals him. So as we think about faith this morning, what we cannot come away with is this, is that if I simply have enough faith, then God will heal me. That is not what we're looking at this morning. This is not what it means to have faith. Uh, Jesus uh, didn't heal them because they had tremendous faith. Yes, he worked with their faith. Um, but it's not, as we experience this life and the, the sufferings that, that we go through, we don't suffer them because of our lack of faith necessarily. And it's not that, God, if I just had enough faith, you would reach out and you would heal me. So if that's not the case, then what is it? Well, what is faith? So first and foremost, faith is a gift from God. We need to remember that. Faith is a gift from God. It's not something that we conjure up on our own. It is a gift by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And without Him, we wouldn't even have faith. And as Hebrews 11 describes it, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. And how can we even exercise faith, being certain of what we cannot see if the Holy Spirit is not working in our lives? Last week, as we were looking at the story of Peter and him being called as a disciple of Christ, uh, we, we talked about the fact that being a disciple is surrendering yourself to Christ. So in our faith, what we do is we surrender ourselves over to Christ. Faith means knowing that God is the only one who can truly heal us and coming to Him in a state of desperation, leaving everything else behind. But faith is also knowing that our will may not be His will, and that our ways may not be His ways. Faith is having the ability to say with Jesus as He did in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Now in Daniel, there is this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know these names. Um, and this, this story that we're told when we're children usually uh, about the, the fiery furnace. And how Nebuchadnezzar is the king and he sets up this, this huge golden statue and he wants everyone to bow down before this statue and anyone who doesn't will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they believe in God, they refuse to bow down. And so they're brought before the king, they're given another chance, and once again they refuse. So the king gets upset he not only is going to throw them in the furnace, but he says, heat it up seven times hotter, uh, so hot that the men who are near the furnace, uh, uh, even in the vicinity of it, are, are killed by the heat of this furnace. So these men are about to be thrown into the furnace. And this is how they respond to King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. 
If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had the faith to know that God could save them. But they didn't go, go in there thinking that God absolutely will. He did, as we know. But they knew that even if not, if that was not His will, they would trust the Lord and they would still glorify God. You know, God in His infinite wisdom may not heal us physically in this life. And faith means trusting in God even when He doesn't heal. When I was a sophomore in high school, there was a girl in our class who, um, who was suffering with cancer. And we prayed that God would heal her. He didn't. And we asked the question, you know, why? Why did God not heal her? You know the story of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, a famous Christian author who is paralyzed. When she was 17, she had a, uh, a diving accident as she was diving into Chesapeake Bay where it was too, uh, in an area that was too shallow, and she became paralyzed. She has been in a wheelchair ever since. Can you imagine the amount of times that she has prayed probably for God's healing? But God has seen it fit not to heal her. There is always a reason that God gives for the trials in our lives. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That doesn't mean that it's easy. It's not. We know that it's not. But faith is being able to say, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God, I know that you are the only one who can heal me, and I come in desperation to you. But even if you don't, even if you don't, I will still praise your name. And we have the hope that even though God may not heal us physically in this life, we know that he will heal us in the next. You know, when the paralytic was brought to him, the first thing that Jesus said to him was, Man, your sins are forgiven. We know that God will heal us of our greatest need, and that is our sins. And anyone who through the power of the Holy Spirit has placed their faith in Christ is experiencing this healing power through the forgiveness of sins. And you know, we all have a story of what God has done in our lives. We all do. If you're here this morning, it's a miracle. And that's true. 
because of what God has done in our lives. It's a miracle. We all have stories of what God has done in the past and is doing um, to draw us to Him. And as I've said over the last couple of weeks, it's important for us to share our stories. Uh, Ben Ward shared his story with us as as men yesterday morning. And uh, this afternoon, almost this afternoon, uh, I've asked Sharon Hawk, actually, to come up uh, right now and to share her story uh, of what God has done in her life. Because he has done some miraculous things. You haven't even told your story and I'm already getting choked up. Uh, because I know your story, and it's a beautiful story. So, uh, in conclusion, I've asked Sharon if she would share with us what God has been doing in her life recently. Sharon. So, after thinking about what Mike said in his sermon a couple of weeks ago, um, I decided I wanted to share what God's done in my life recently and how he's worked what seems like a miracle from the inside out. But I didn't know exactly how to do that. So, I sought God, and I prayed, and... um, And I did that as I thought how to share this marvelous story today with you um, and tomorrow or in the days to come as a witness to others. See, I I don't really look any differently this morning. Uh, And for the purposes of Sunday mornings, I'm not really acting any differently. But I am so different. And how do I weave that into a story to tell you? Well, there's a book um, by Dan Allender called To Be Told, and it's about telling our personal stories. And here's a quote from that. We know that God is sovereign and nothing is beyond his sight. But does that truth really equip us to love everything that's written in our life? We can love our past, even the parts we avoid or regret, only if we understand that our stories are written for the benefit of other stories in the future. We can truly love our life, when we see our stories birth new and more glorious stories. So I get that our stories, my story, um, could give meaning and perhaps courage to others to share theirs when I'm able to put it into words. And um, that's very hard to do. But this is what I know. There's a calm that the Lord has brought to an internal storm that held my soul captive for so very long. There is a sense of peace that cannot be described in any other way but that it was a personal miracle that God has done for me. He wove it through many, many sleepless nights, through time with Hazel that God used to prepare my heart, through a deep despair, and through pain that all came flooding out in four truly amazing days of gospel-centered intensive therapy. And in every day that's followed. You see, I'm walking in new territory with the strength of God and the newness of an understanding of a miracle. A miracle, not a band-aid on a crushing wound, but a healing that could only come from God and only because he orchestrated things that were way beyond my control. Um, You know, I met Tom and Karen and that's how we got to Trinity and being close enough to Karen came first in my life. And then I told my whole story. And um, you're hearing the redemption side. Um, but God had plans in the lives of Marabellas. And uh, they uh, they moved from here. And God blessed us with Mike and Stephanie and their sweet family. And because they're here, came an opportunity for profound healing in my life. 
God used Stephanie's mom in a way beyond that which I could have imagined to push me through the pain and to bring me to what only God can give, which is a healing. It's the forgiveness of others and myself. That was eight simple words. It's the forgiveness of others and myself. But it it was not simple. It was really hard work. And it was an acknowledgement of the pain that I'd allowed to cripple myself and to keep me stuck in a mire of private despair. But it's also the lifting of all that into a place where God has shown me my value to Him, where He loves me as His child, adopted, and know that He's given me a path to the internal peacefulness that I'd not known in my lifetime. I, I do struggle to put into words what that week of therapy with Stephanie's mom means to me or how it will always be a catalyst for opening my heart in a more significant, meaning, and transforming way than I'd ever known God. It was a miracle. It's drawn me to Jesus and his words and the gospel that's meant for me. But how do I really tell people, how do I tell you what an indescribable difference it is in my soul? There aren't words to describe what I have for the restfulness that replaced the restlessness that I'd known all too well and the peacefulness that I now have in lieu of a storm that had raged. So please pray that I can continue to be courageous and share when I'm supposed to do so the whole story and the story of redemption. And then as her mom quoted uh, someone, show up, be seen, and live brave. So, and in that, share what God has done for me. So my words to you are that the deepest trauma even an evil done to you can be healed by our sovereign Lord and King. And I, I know that now. I know that forgiveness you never thought you could grant is healing in itself. And I'm grateful for the miracles done in my life. And the blessings of being a part of Trinity has that's played no small part in my healing. God has used this family, this community of believers here to walk with me on a rocky road that's become a smoother path. It's because of Jesus and the gospel. Thank you for being brave and sharing your story. We appreciate it. Uh, God is calling us to, to faith this morning. Faith that he has and he will take care of our greatest need. That even in the rocky roads of our lives, as Sharon said, he will and he has made them smooth through his son, Jesus Christ. So. Thank you, Sharon, for sharing your story. And I know that others, too, we all have a story of what God has done in our lives. And I look forward to hearing more of our stories as we love one another, as we carry each other's burdens, uh, as we carry them to the cross. So let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I thank you for the ways that you work in our lives. The miracles the literal miracles that you perform in us to draw us to yourself, to do things in us that we could not possibly think could ever happen, Lord, you do. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith in you, knowing that you can heal us. And Father, even if you don't heal our physical needs, We pray that we would trust you, knowing that you are doing it for a reason, 
And that we as brothers and sisters in Christ could surround one another in our trials and in our sufferings and lead each other to the cross, bearing one another's burdens in love. Father, I thank you for the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we go from this place, we would be living examples of the miracles that you have performed in us through your gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.